I believe in a world where talents and purpose intersect to create careers we love. Each of us has a Venn diagram depicting what we're good at on one side and what we love to do on the other. Finding the place of overlap and aligning our lives to that sweet spot is the key to fully living. Welcome to the Becoming Congruent podcast, where we explore the profound power of our unique human experience through our guests' stories and lessons. We are your hosts, Melanie Hicks and Rachel Jones, and we are excited to take this journey with you. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Becoming Congruent. This week, Melanie had the privilege to interview Brooke Danielson. She is certified in plant-based nutrition through T. Colin Campbell Center of Nutrition Studies via Cornell University and offers plant-based coaching. As a seasoned fashion editor, stylist, social media strategist, and on-air personality, Danielson has held editorial positions at Shape, Glamour, and Vogue.com, as well as InStyle.com as their contributing fashion news editor. She has also consulted for several brands, including Aztec Mountain, Tory Burch, and O2 Aspen. Most recently, she has grown the social media and editorial platforms for several health and wellness brands. Join us in welcoming Brooke Danielson. All right. Well, we are so excited to have you. Thank you so much. And kick us off by telling us a little bit more about you that we uh, did not hear in your bio. Sure. Well, thanks for having me today. I'm thrilled to be um, chatting with you. A bit about myself. Oh my goodness. How far back do you want me to start? (laughs) Anywhere you want. We love to know people's histories. I went to New York um, when I was 18 years old to study at Parsons School of Design. And it was there that I majored in fashion design and ultimately fell in love with children's design um, after my professors encouraged me to follow the best project they'd seen me deliver. And so I started really following sustainability and um, natural dyes and natural fabrics and wanting to deliver um, a natural, sustainable uh, line to children, essentially. So I was really interested in that line of work. Then also at the same time, I began interning at Vogue magazine when I was um, studying at Parsons and I realized that I loved editorial and I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to write, but also visually curate stories um, after learning about collections season to season. And at the encouragement of my parents, uh, it was to finish my degree in fashion design, but ultimately you could do uh, anything you wanted to. So I just decided I would see my collection through, really immerse myself in that. And then I went on to graduate and edit, um, go into the editorial space. And I was assisting in the accessories department at Vogue where I interned both in Los Angeles and in the New York offices. And thus really started um, my, the blossoming of my career, if you will. And while I was at Vogue, two openings happened at Condé Nast, one at Teen Vogue and one at Glamour Magazine in the accessories departments both. And I love jewelry, I love accessories. Um, I love how just the added touch of something special can make you feel. So I was really excited that um, these two opportunities came about and with the Vogue team um, and my support, they you know, they encouraged me to, to go one way, which I did ultimately take the job at Glamour, which was incredible. Um, and I met one of those amazing women that was my boss, Gretchen Fenton. And to this day, I still just hold a candle to her. She's an amazing woman, such a great um, mentor and boss. 
and guide in the everyday life of the fashion industry and what it means to be professional. And um, so my career really began at Glamour, I would say, is where I started to really come into my own. I learned a lot about myself uh, personally and professionally. And kind of in a nutshell, from Glamour, I went to Vogue.com and I was the accessories editor there. So back to the Vogue roots from my interning days and assisting days. And um, I learned a great deal there as well. I mean, hard work, um, detail-oriented work and an incredible team, um, you know, under the helm of Sally Singer. Uh, it, she was overseeing Vogue.com at the time. And from there, I went on to freelance and travel for a while and then ultimately kind of consulted and hopped and landed back in the magazine world at um, Shape Magazine, where I was the fashion and lifestyle director. And this is really, I think, kind of to date the highlight of my career for me because it merged and merges the shape that shape does um, health and wellness with the lifestyle and the fashion and kind of the everyday woman or man or whomever. Um, so I was really excited to be at the helm of the fashion and lifestyle department. And I worked with incredible people. I had an amazing editor with me, Jen Barthol. I had Noah Dreyers, the creative director. I mean, it's just an incredible team around me. Um, you know, we were up against a lot daily in such a grueling industry, but I got to work with some of the best and style celebrities for covers and conceptualize stories and hopefully helped people feel good about themselves through the stories we told and the products we presented. That's awesome. Oh, if you yeah. tell us a little bit about how, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the magazine industry is, you know, dead or dying and, and publications and we don't consume them in the same way. But in my mind, they're still around. They're just, you know, evolving, right? So give me your, your kind of two cents on that. You've been in this industry a long time, um, whether it's fashion or not. How do you see kind of the, the magazine industry, um, you know, evolving or changing or, or what kind of um, pressure is it under? We're certainly not consuming magazines in the same way, but certainly differently. Do I think it's dying? No, I think it's becoming more specialized. And we're seeing really interesting publications emerge in this time. Um, certainly the landscape is ever-changing and we've seen incredible books like A Glamour go completely digital and fold into that space and no longer be print. where you can pick it up and feel it and it's tactile and all those things or the tangible product of. But um, I think what's happening is with, you know, a changing landscape, because there are new plants, so to speak. So you're just like planting a new new breed in there um, and new special interest publications are popping up. And I've seen some incredible art magazines really um, thrive at this time. So while it's changing, it's just, it, it's different. And, you know, while we can consume so much information at the ready in real time digitally, which has its advantages, there's also something to be said for our for print and, and waiting for those incredible special stories that journalists really dive into and that editors really have spent months creating um, and picking up a magazine or a book and reading them without the screen is, is still incredibly important to me. Um, I hope that generations to come, they find the importance in that as well. Um, it's just changing. I don't wanna say that it's dying because we're just seeing it differently now. Right. Yeah, I think so too. There's something really 
magical. I mean, I am also um, kind of a writer and freelancer along with my consulting firm. And part of what people, I, I literally have one of my business partners that says, oh, you know, books are dying. And I'm like, no, no, they're not. People still love them. People still love to read. They love to fantasize. They love to be informed. Um, and I think the same is true, you know, for magazines. I love the fact that you said they're the, the landscape and the new plants, right? I, this is a great illustration um, because I really do believe that we are, you're right, we're specializing. It, we've seen it in, in TV and the way we consume kind of mass media and those kind of things. Everything is becoming, you know, I want exactly what I want that makes me personally relate to it. And I want to be able to pick and choose a la carte how I receive mm-hmm. that information. But it doesn't mean I don't want information and it doesn't mean I don't want to have, you know, great people behind the scenes that are working to cultivate, you know, images and words that make me, you know, both, like I said, informed, but also feel a certain way. And I think fashion is one of those things that can really make you feel a certain way. Um, have you seen a lot, you know, kind of what is your, what is your take on where we are in the fashion world? I love, um, the circulation of trends that come back around, right? So I'm, mm-hmm. I happen to be, uh, and have been for some time before it was popular, um, a little bit obsessed with 70s fashion. I, I just, um, I love the shapes of it. I love the, the odd coloring and the art that went along with it. Uh, and I, I've seen kind of a resurgence of that uh, come back a little bit uh, of late, but um, <laughs> I've been a big fan for a long time, uh, but, but what do you see in, in kind of the fashion world that, that sparks your eye or makes you interested or, or that you find interesting? I think we're in such a, a fun time where fashion to me and my interpretation is it doesn't feel as precious. Um, I think that there's so much um, individual expression going on and there's no kind of right or wrong way. I really love this um, this 90s comeback as well. And you see yeah. kind of different eras of fashion all over now because people are really inspired to be themselves and that I love so much. Um, it's, you know, there is something to be said for a beautiful gown and a gorgeous a tailored suit. Well, I love all these things. Um, I think that there is this thread of individuality that's really being championed right now. And whether that is how you style your tracksuit or just denim in a t-shirt and some sneakers or it's something more elevated. I love how much kind of access and knowledge uh, children, but also adults have now. And that's the beauty of also the internet and what we have in the digital space mm-hmm. is, um, is this access to, to viewing creativity and to expressing it. So I'm really loving the individuality and there's just kind of no rules. It's, it's yeah. just expressing yourself and it's drawing on inspiration from different decades and maybe different celebrities or movies or music. And um, even politically, you see that thread through fashion. So I'm just really excited about kind of what we're seeing now. And also this post or, you know, COVID, we're still in it, but um, now that we can be out in a bit more social with with precaution, people wanting to get dressed up again in some way and, and kind of getting more creative and, and really valuing that we're going out. So, you know, what's the vibe and how do we want to express ourselves? And we're going out to the bar, the concert, and we're kind of feeling this really fun life uh, being breathed back into it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, especially after all of the months of, you know, (laughs) athleisure and, um, you know, or just plain sweats, right? Like not even cute. Um, Right. I do, I find, you know, 
the world is an interesting place and I wouldn't wish a pandemic on us ever, uh, on anyone. However, it, it was a time to reassess uh, a lot of things in life. And fashion is kind of one of those, right? Like it is, it was, a, it's a new appreciation of, you know, I traveled for work um, prior to the pandemic. I worked for a national consulting firm and I traveled for work every single week. And wow. the, I had, you know, the standard heels in my purse uh, and flats on my feet through the airport, switch it up before a client meeting and go. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't spend as much time really being thoughtful about, you know, I was looking totally for practicality and running through airports and, you know, this, and now I get the luxury <clears throat> of re-examining what's in my closet, what still serves me, what has my personality attached to it, what doesn't, and how can I make practicality and feeling really good about myself in the clothes that I select come together in a way that is meaningful. Right. And mm-hmm. I think there's, this is an opportunity like all, um, you know, time periods, uh, to, to reassess that and to find your own personal, you know, fun. It's like we had a reset. We all got into sweats for a while and now it's time to reset. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, what I'm going through right now is this reset of kind of taking it down to a more minimal, um, level, I am cleaning out my closet. I am donating to those in need where I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe in waste. So I want these clothes to hopefully be repurposed in some way, but just paring down, really taking a step back. And then also my impact on the planet because clothing and manufacturing, clothing manufacturing essentially has such a large carbon footprint on our planet. So it's really about making intentional choices. And that's for me personally at the moment, it's maybe having three great button down shirts and a really fabulous cashmere sweater. And they'll last me 20 years or the test of time or whatnot. Yes. And, um, you know, that just great pair of flats that I can resole and use until they're not usable anymore, but just really mm-hmm. taking a step back and, and viewing it as what do I really need in my life? Mm-hmm. Do I need all of this, um, I don't know, clutter, or do I need 50 sweaters in all these different colors? Perhaps not. So I'm just taking it from a more kind of conscious standpoint right now, taking a step back and what, what's valuable to me and what, where do I see value and what am I comfortable in and what can I pare down? I'm, I know it's a really fun phase to be in, but um, COVID's certainly done that for me. I was pretty much like that also prior, but I, I feel it more intensely in this time. Yeah, I I can't agree more. I have um, a number of years ago, probably, gosh, two decades and I'm dating myself, but um, (laughs) I I moved from a a house into a very temporary studio apartment while I was looking for my next house. And at the time I I didn't even realize it, but I didn't have a closet in the studio apartment. So I started lining up my shoes on the floor, right? Just putting them together because I had, I think, dumped them into like a giant moving box, right? They were all mixed up. And as I started to lay them out, I realized just how many there were for the first time. And I counted and I had 90 pairs of shoes. And I thought Mm -hmm. to myself, there is no reason on this planet that I should have a pair, you know, enough pairs of shoes where I only have to wear them three times a year. Right. And, or like, I literally could not possibly wear Mm -hmm. them three times a year if I wanted to get through all of them. And I just thought, I'll never do this again. So I bought a hanging shoe rack that had um, 24 slots in it. And I pared down to 24 and I said, wow. if I, if I got 
a new pair of shoes, one of these has to go because I'll never have more shoes than fits in this in this hanging rack. And I've stuck to it. There's a, a little bit of an exception. I do own some hiking boots that stay outside. And so they don't technically take up the slots. But other than that, yeah. uh, I have stuck to that for two decades. And it has started with shoes. And then it, it became wardrobe. And then it became jewelry. And then it became kitchen wow. items. And so everything in my life now has a one in one out rule. And I, it makes me intentionally think about when I'm at the store, how much do I love this thing that I am thinking about buying because something has to go. And, you know, and if you really, if you get down to the core basics of pieces that you really love and pieces that are classic and pieces that are well-made, you don't want them to go. And so it makes you not want to, cons- you know, buy that next thing. And that's been a really, um, a really meaningful intentionality in my life in terms of, of kind of clutter and consumption uh, that I think has saved, you know, kind of mental clutter as well as kind of financial savings as well, because I'll stop myself, right? <laughs> yeah, did that make you feel lighter? So much. It is amazing how uh, the physical release of things can bring on an emotional and a spiritual release of pressure that we don't even really realize is exists, right? Yeah, you broke up. Yeah, yeah, I think we're, we're moving a little bit. I'll I'll end that. Okay. But no, I was just gonna say that I think the, the physical release of uh things, you know, material items has a, a real effect on the kind of spiritual and emotional way that we feel space and that we feel spacious and that we leave room for things like creativity and innovation in our souls really. Um, and it's, it's, you know, almost, it's strange to think that physical and the physical and the emotional could, could intertwine in such a powerful way, but they really do. They do. I was talking to a girlfriend of mine about this a while ago, and she's moved quite a bit in the last two years and she pared her life down so minimally. She got it all into one small storage cube. Wow. But then I think she even pared down further that she could just go at the drop of a hat anywhere. And she was recounting to me how light she felt and energetically just opened up so much for herself to just move freely through life. And that actually really inspired me to kind of assess what's going on in my life. And, um, and she really radiates that too. And it works for her and it's not for everybody, but it is, um, it's interesting how many people can find commonality in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, different chapters of life uh, have different phases. So I lived in a different city. I lived in a high rise. It was about 800 square feet. You know, there's very little that needed to be there. I had a couch and, you know, and I, a, you know, a bed and a nightstand and, and a cabinet, which I had refinished from a flea market that I absolutely adored and love still have. And that held like wine bottles and wine glasses and, I think it was originally just be a TV cabinet or something, but I had totally redone it and that was it. Right. And I was so happy. My husband jokes that when he met me, I had two plates and one fork and, (laughs) and, and and, uh, six wine glasses because priorities, but, (laughs) but I, you know, now we moved out West and we had a big house and then we had to buy furniture for a big house. And it feels, you know, I often long for those that, that little, condo because to me it was everything I ever needed in life and you know we fill the space that we have but I could go back to that in a heartbeat it would be no heartbreak 
to sell all of this furniture that we've bought for this house and mm-hmm. keep this piece of art that I love and, uh, you know, and a couple other things and be done. And so yeah. there is a lightness and I envy, I have a little envy for your friend who, who has made her life so light. I do too. I do too. It's just a complete goals. I, I strive for that. So, um, but a work in progress always. Yeah. Well, on that note, how, you know, women often tie a lot of their self-esteem right back into the fashion and the way that they look. So how do we reconcile these, this idea of smart consumerism, um, lightness and not overburdening it with, with feeling all of those intrinsic feels that we want to have from, from fashion, from the way that we, that we look our outward appearance that we, you know, that we put forth because, you know, it can certainly on one hand go all the way to kind of vanity and over, but at the same time, the opposite of that can be a lot, can do a real number on, you know, self-esteem and the way we feel and the way we present ourselves and how powerful we are in, in the world. Right. Absolutely. This has been, you know, I can speak personally to this pretty well um, as my journey was really, it was immersed in um, some high fashion for quite a while. And then my, my journey slowly kept kind of going down this path of really moving towards health and wellness in totality for me. Um, who am I? What are my core values? And it just high fashion and fashion in general, which I still love to this day, just became less of a priority for me. Mm-hmm. And what became more of a priority is health and wellness, traveling the world, um, centering myself and in my values and moving towards a better, better version of me. What does that look like? How do I achieve that? Um, and then the rest of it kind of becomes less important. So for me, if I want to put my best foot forward, it's investing in really conscious choices in those specific pieces, as we talked about a few minutes ago, um, and pulling myself together. And my mother used to, you know, make me comb my hair before I could go anywhere. And I just wanted to run out the door and play soccer and whatnot. But uh, my hair was always in a nice ponytail, thanks to my mom. And um, I kind of learned that that lesson is just like, put your best foot forward in terms of taking good care of yourself. What, what's better than that, you know? And while I, I can understand some people feeling so great and in this jacket they saved up for that gorgeous pair of shoes, I still find satisfaction in those things. But at the end of the day, when you lie in bed at night, it's, you know, was I a good person today? Or if I misstepped, how can I recorrect? Or am I putting good foods in my body? Am I making sure one of my good friends is okay? Those are all important values to me. So if you can get centered in something really important to you at your core, that, you know, life is fleeting. So if we can have perspective, kind of the, the vanity of things hopefully become less important or less stressful. Um, that's it. it. It's a constant work in progress. Absolutely. I mean, it's like anyone like learning to meditate or in any sort of practice or going plant-based. I mean, these things all take um, a conscious effort. Listening is a, takes a conscious effort. So, um, you know, it's like flexing your muscle on the daily, but that is my, my view on it. And that's my approach to it. And I remember when I really stepped back from fashion, I thought, oh, am I relevant? Um, is my career going to stay as strong? Um, will my friendship sustain? I mean, these are all things that went through my mind because a lot of my friends are in the industry, mm-hmm. but then you quickly find out what's really true to you and what's, you know, what's meant for you will be. 
Right. Um, so anyway, perhaps that's the long roundabout, um, very deep thought of to answer your question. Um, yeah. No, I think that's perfect. Actually, the wellness piece is, you know, we can, and, and I think, I, I mean, maybe not every woman, but I think most women go through at least some phase where we're trying to fix the outside when what we really need to do is look inside. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I have, um, I do this with my clients. I have this exercise I do with my clients all the time. It's called a flashlight and a mirror. And a flashlight is to shine some light into the places that we're a little too scared to go. And the mirror is to reflect back to us that we already have everything we need inside of us to get to that place. We just have to believe. And Mm -hmm. I had this really um, super fortunate um, encounter in 2008. I won a essay contest for Mary Claire and I got to fly to New York and like um, have a photo shoot. And it was really amazing. And I opened the essay with into the looking glass. And so they had my photo mm. of me standing in front of a mirror. And it's always been this really um, impactful piece to my own kind of career journey, because writing has been something I've wanted to do for my career my whole life and been, you know, adjacent, I, I call it Dharma adjacent to that. <laughs> I've done a lot of writing, but in really safe career ways, instead of just doing the thing that I want to do. And, but also that picture because I hang it that that um magazine shoot I hang it in uh, here in my office and I look at it all the time and think about you know that looking glass and remembering that it's inside of me and I think so many women you know whether it's a phase or not and hopefully it is a phase um and not part of your permanent psyche but we look for external things instead of exactly what you were just saying which is the the way that we feel when we lay down at night um did we eat the best way for our bodies that we could have? Did we move our bodies in the way that we should have? Did we give ourselves the quiet time and meditation or prayer, whatever, you know, if it's a walk, if it's a, you know, whatever it is for you, that is, that is that quiet time because we can only ever make murky water clear if we stop stirring. And Mm. that is, um, that quiet time is so important. And I do think that that is, um, it's a work in progress, but it's an important, it's important work. It's maybe the most important work of our life. I agree. And also moving through fear and fear can look very differently and feel very differently to everybody. Mm -hmm. But I'm a big proponent of if something scares me and not in the horror movie sense, but in the life sense, um, kind of a hurdle in life, I want to go right through that fear. Yes. Because if I don't try, then I'll never know. Right. And if you, you can't have successes without failures. Unless you're, you know, the exception to the rule and you've got a success off the bat, but you can learn so much from the failure. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, have you ever thought about just leaping and trying to write more full time or. So uh, I thought about it absolutely every day of my life. I am um, working on my first full length, um, novel, a memoir about travel and life lessons and actually pushing through fear. Um, to, to, uh, highlight your point there. Um, but I am not doing it full time. So I am writing a lot, um, a lot more than I was. I'm writing, um, for some various magazines and for Forbes, and, um, I'm doing this manuscript for this, this first book, but no, I'm still doing a lot of, uh, consulting, which my own consulting firm, which is project management and and strategic leadership. So, but what, uh, I have, I have a goal. I have a dream. (laughs) Good. I'm Amazing. I can't wait to read it every day. Yeah. I'll, I'll be yeah. excited to, to send you a copy. Um, I, as a writer yourself, um, tell, 
how do you find kind of your voice? How do you feel like when you're in, you know, how do you find the flow? Cause I think we all have anybody who's a creative, whether it's writing or art, or there is the difference between those days when you just sit down and do it because you have to push yourself to continue the practice of doing your craft. And then there are days when you're in the flow and what are your, um, kind of flow moments like? Oh yeah. Abs- I experience this all, you know, every day. Um, my flow, I get into this amazing, um, writing flow cadence, whatever you'd like to call it. I get into the zone when it's coming from such a personal place and that could be from, ex- it's entirely actually from experience, but that's what gets me most excited. And in the health and wellness sphere, because my, my whole entire life has been such an up and down of, um, health successes and health failures. And, you know, I finally in my adult life have found this really nice kind of leveled out happy place. Um, but when I've experienced writer's block, sometimes I'm just not feeling enthused about the assignment or, um, yeah, it just feels forced or perhaps I'm too over the subject. I'm not quite sure it happens all the time. So I usually just step away and go for a bike ride or a run. And then my ideas will start flowing again. Um, I'll find a different way to open the story. Um, but it's generally, generally when I pitch things, um, that I am passionate about that it just works. And I found in the past when I was trying to force a topic, it just didn't work out. And I've gotten much more into like the personal essay aspect. I write quite a bit for well and good. And my most successful stories have been from such a personal, passionate place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guide for Achilles International, which is um, pairing uh, disabled athletes with able-bodied athletes. And um, I've written quite a few essays about my friendship with my friend, Melissa. I guide her for races, anything from 10K, 5K, all the way up to a marathon. And she has limited vision. She's blind. And um, we have this great friendship. It's so full of fun. And the stories I've written about that have been probably my favorite. Um, Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, Yeah, I really do believe in the power of stories, right? And stories are only as interesting as we are willing to be vulnerable. And vulnerability, uh, is a whole topic of its own, but it's a scary, scary thing. It's probably to me, it's probably the one thing that I have to work the hardest to push through. You can get me to, I've traveled all by myself all over the world. I've done all kinds of crazy things that other people would find scary that I maybe found scary, but we're willing to do it with no hesitation. But being vulnerable is perhaps in the real sense, especially vulnerability about yourself is perhaps the scariest thing on earth, but it's the most meaningful, right? And so it's incredible. Yeah. I can only imagine how much more connected it would be to, and I totally want to read all your stories. Um, but I, you know, how, when we are really passionate about something, it just flows out of us. Right. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert in big magic talks about creativity as a tiger and that it runs at you and you either like get prepared and you hop on its back or you reluctantly don't, you know, at the last minute decide and you grab onto its tail or you just let it run right past you and it's gone forever. And I wake up in the middle of the night a lot with ideas about, you know, the way I should frame a chapter of the book or an idea for a new Forbes article or something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I like have to get up or at least I have to grab my phone and like type out some notes because I can't let the tiger ride and pass me because I know by the time I wake up in the morning, it's gone. And all of that, you know, kind of weird 2 a.m. vulnerability will have gone with it. So, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, you just got to grab it while it's there and seize the opportunity. Yeah. 
I love that how she says that. Yeah, it's it's been this one, you know, there are these certain lines in books that you read or, and sometimes you forget even who to attribute it to, but it's something that gets stuck so far in the back of your psyche that you just can't get it out of your head. And this, this vision of the mm-hmm. tiger um, as creativity is, and my tiger has like rainbow stripes, right? It's like crazy rainbow, like the, the stream of air behind it is all full of misty rainbowness. And it's just coming right at me. And I, and I think about it all the time. I, I tend to be the tail grabber because I'm not ever quite prepared for it to arrive, but I'm somehow not going to let it pass me by. <laughs> I like that. So as we start to wrap up, um, tell us a story about um, you pushing through fear. What are some of the things that are, are your, uh, or what is a thing or something that, um, that you find uh, have found, you know, fearful or, or a little bit, at least that, that challenged your, your fear radar. Oh my, I've had so many instances throughout my life, but the most recent one would be picking up and moving across the country by myself to a town that I love so much. And I grew up visiting, but to visit and to live are very different things. And I just, um, one day decided that I would try to live in Aspen, Colorado. And um, at the time, you know, I have, I still don't have children, but I don't have children, I'm not married. And I had a plant and I was looking around my apartment that I love so much. And, you know, I miss it every day, but I thought I should just go on an adventure. I'm, I'm capable. I have the flexibility and um, I wanted to kind of just shake it up. So I kept my apartment in Manhattan. So a little bit of a safety net, but I just packed up. I told my girlfriends, I'm going to Aspen. I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, I may or may not be moving there permanently. And, uh, and away I went and I landed just prior to ski season, 2019 and had a blast and was consulting and freelance writing and, um, and just meeting really neat people and immersing myself in the mountain community. And, uh, I'm pretty active and very sporty. So I ski and I like to uphill skin Mm -hmm. and, um, I trail run and hike and I'm always down to learn new sports as well. I think that was a big push through fear. Um, I'm someone who's okay alone. Like you were talking about traveling the world alone. I'm so down for that as well. And, um, because I am pretty fulfilled within myself. I know who I am and I'm really fortunate to be at that place. Um, that's a gift. So I pushed through fear for that. And there have been moments of such loneliness, certainly moving to a new town and trying to find your community in your thirties. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not in my twenties and partying just out of college. And I'm also not a mother where I can maybe meet friends through the school system. Um, you know, everyone's got their challenges, but that was a huge push through fear for so many reasons and kind of just figuring out who I was out here and, and, um, and just immersing myself in a new community was, was scary, but it was also really fun. And I'm still in the process of, right. And also with a pandemic, (laughs) um, a little break, (laughs) (laughs) took a break. So I was quarantined, um, with people that I had just really met and, um, so that was my, my latest push through fear. There are a couple, I think, hurdles ahead that I'm really excited to push through. Um, and they'll be probably long and tough, but I know the reward is going to be great. It's an exciting push, um, through fear. So my goodness, I feel like my whole life has just been spurts of it and has made me so resilient, which I'm fortunate for. I'm fortunate for all those experiences. Yeah. I feel exactly the same way. Um, in terms of, 
I feel like getting to a place where you are really truly happy by yourself doesn't mean I don't love people doesn't mean I'm now married. I'm recently married and I, you know, love my husband and I, it, it sometimes feels weird to have a person around all the time. I have to think about vacations <laughs> with another person. Cause I'm so used to, you know, I spent over a decade just single and, and kind of out there traveling and doing whatever, but, but yeah, it, um, I also moved to Colorado in, uh, July of 2019. And, uh, and so that, it was really odd inter intermixing in a new community and then suddenly not because pandemic. Uh, so I'm trying my best yeah. now to get out and, and be out there, but there's a, it's um, yeah, it's, that's a, it's a magical thing to push through fear and be on the other side of it. Even if it's not perfectly how you expected it on the other side, there's just a sense of, uh, I don't know, accomplishment doesn't even do it justice, but there's just this like, spiritual sense about getting to the other side of fear and how powerful that is as a, as a growth mechanism. I agree. Do you feel like you're growing through this experience moving yeah. and then the pandemic and now re-emerging into community? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like, um, every day I'm growing and I also started my own firm. I left my national consulting firm and started my own firm in January of this year. And that is, um, that in itself is also the same. And I'm so new city, new business, new, new life. <laughs> so yeah, there's comes in threes. It comes in threes, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. And especially, I know that you were a little under the weather and so happy that you still persevered to be with us today. So I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. uh, tell everyone how they, they might find you or find your writing. Um, if they want to learn more, uh, how can, how can people get in touch with you? Sure. So you can get in touch with me via Instagram. It's at Brooke Ely, B-R-O-O-K-E-E-L-Y. Um, I also am a health and wellness coach. My practice is Hedges Health. So I do in-person and also virtual um, meetings with my clients, which is really fun. Um, I do plant-based co coaching specifically. So my email is posted on my Instagram. Um, and also if you would like to follow any stories I write, I write for well in good shape. Um, and also Mind Body Green. I've contributed to Vogue.com. So you could just type in my name, Brooke Ely Danielson, into the search bar and my author bio should pop up. Otherwise, my website's on my Instagram and I keep my portfolio there and I have a lot of fun stories in the works. So I hope everybody can read them and follow along and um, DM me if you want to get in touch. I am pretty active on Instagram and try to get back to everyone that writes me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. We love your story. And um, this has just been so much fun. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to talk to you today. All right. Have a great day. You too. This has been another episode of the Becoming Congruent podcast, a production of In Pursuit Research, outcomes-driven, impact-focused. What are you in pursuit of?